to the open side. Karim Bete. Hufflegal here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Good evening and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Ando, and with me is Mitch. No Lockie this week. Mitch, how are you? It's been a couple of weeks, mate. Yeah, it has. It's uh, had a few family things going on in the background, so unfortunate not to be able to join you guys last week. Was really looking forward to coming on and chatting about the World Cup and what team Eddie Jones actually named and all the drama that's sort of uh ensued from that team naming but uh yeah i'm unable to get in and, and get into the podcast with you boys but um enjoyed listening to what you had to say around it and found myself with a few questions and comments to add to it so hopefully i can sort of inject those this week as we go uh, a bit more i guess stuff to talk around eddie jones this week so looking forward to oh, that oh mate you, you talk about drama but trust me the drama has only heightened and so tonight we are we must be positive if that is the name of this episode, we must be positive because that is the only type of media coverage allowed about rugby in Australia is positive, positive rugby coverage. So on that note, we are going to be talking about the Wallaroos and everything that is going down this Sunday as we are recording. Big news here in Wallaroos camp. But before that, we are going to touch on the Eddie Jones press conference where he told a bunch of journalists to go and uppercut themselves and to stay positive. Um, <laughs> talk about the Wallaroos. <laughs> Wallabies and kind of the first stages of the World Cup campaign over in France before we move on to probably a large part of what we'll talk about is the Wallaroos and the inequities that they have or inequality, inequity, yeah, but a bit of both that they have highlighted about this situation within Australian rugby. Before we finish off with a quick look at the Autumn Summer Nation series and particularly go into the Wales versus South Africa game, considering that Wales are one of our primary rivals within our World Cup pool. So, yep. Mitch, I think, um, is, is that what we're covering? Anything I've missed? Yeah, that's about it. I think uh, we're only a few weeks away from the World Cup now. So you and I must will have to figure out what we're doing in terms of tipping and get that up and running because we will be running a tipping comp Ooh. for the World Cup. Um, we haven't officially decided yet which platform we will be using. Don't know if there is anything other than Superbrew at the moment, but we're still looking and in, in sort of figuring that out. So we'll see. keep your ears we'll and see. eyes peeled and we should have something up on our socials shortly. But do uh, do get involved in that because that makes those games against some of the minnow teams, uh, Russia or Romania against Portugal, stuff like that, a little bit more uh, juicy when you've got uh, a hat in the fight. Brilliant. Well, as always, we have two simple calls to action. Number one, join our Discord channel to be a part of the best Australian rugby community going around. The link is on any of our social media profiles. And then lastly, please consider going to ko-fi.com slash pickanddriverugby and supporting us with a one-off or a monthly payment. Thank you very much. Why don't we get into our first segment now? Drama alert, Eddie Jones, the Wallabies and the Wallaroos. Let's go. Let's go. What better place to start than us to talk about Eddie Jones, the man in the Akubra. And I just got to say, I really, really liked the cut of the Blazers. Although, mate, how much of a private school look is it for yeah. them to be kitted up in a type of Blazers they have with the Akubras as well? Mate, if, if rugby is trying to give off any, any image other than private school pretentiousness, uh, I'm not sure that kind of kit is the way to do it. 
I, I look, I'm on the fence with this one because on the one hand, I, I said to you guys in our group chat when the team was announced that I was pretty sort of underwhelmed with the way that RA went about it and that the players were kind of just announced. Well, there was just a video, but when they did just do a live cross to it, yeah. Darwin, they were kind of just in dress shirts and pants and there was no Wallabies logo anywhere. There didn't really feel like a momentous occasion that you'd been picked to represent your country at a World Cup. It was cool to see they showed up at the airport and they were in an official um, uniform blazers with the crest on it and Akubras and RM Williams and all that sort of stuff. I think personally for me, there probably was not enough green and gold. There was no green mm. and gold. It was like navy and dark blue. How, so How good was the gold tinge on the kind of uh, trim of the blazer collar? I think that would have looked great. But one thing I did really like was that the ties had like the indigenous design on them. So that was sort of inlaid into mm. the design of the the ties that they were wearing. One thing about Eddie Jones, and we'll get into it as we um as we talk a little bit around press conference, but do your button up. Come on, mate. The top button, oh, it looks good. so sloppy with it undone. Uh, yep. It just adds to the narrative a little bit. Trust me, mate. As a teacher, I don't see students anymore. I just see top buttons. So that's doing my head in. But we <laughs> do need to get into it. So Eddie Jones had one final press conference before they left Darwin flying off to um, flying off to uh, Paris. And look, it was a fiery encounter. And for some reason it's a little bit hard to understand why it was so particularly mm. fiery um there had been some pretty significant calls within the rugby world cup squad particularly the omission of michael hooper and quade cooper and it was well known by that point that quade cooper had not actually picked up uh, eddie's calls and wasn't answering eddie's calls and so the journos are justifiably within this press conference it's one of the uh, major opportunities have they've had to speak to eddie asking him how did Quaid know to not pick up if he hadn't been told he wasn't in the squad yet? And that seemed to really frustrate Eddie. He wanted them to be looking forward for the positivity of the campaign rather than focusing on the players, the big-name players who had missed out. Do you share that view that we should be moving and viewing the future and looking at things in a, a what if, so a more positive view, rather than wanting to know the responses to senior players who had missed out on the squad. Again, I feel like I, f- I find myself sitting on the fence a little bit with this press conference and the way that Eddie's gone about it. I can understand why the Genos were asking the questions they were asking. From what I understand as a follower of rugby and someone who's not necessarily in the circles and the access that some of the Genos have, once they made the team announcement on Stan Live, they did have a press conference shortly after on Zoom for the, the journalists to come and ask their questions. But this was the first time since that point, which was last week, for the journalists to actually get to see Eddie face-to-face, ask him some questions, ask him why certain players weren't allowed or were omitted. From what I've heard, some of the journalists who were in the, the press conference, the, the Zoom press conference after the squad announcement, Whenever anyone asked about the players like Michael Hooper or Quade Cooper, Eddie just completely shut it down and wouldn't answer the question. Oh, we're not talking about them. We're not talking about players who didn't make it. We're talking about players that did, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. You've just announced your mm-hmm. team. Let's talk about the players in that instance, who you have selected and, and why you selected them, that sort of thing. But the journalists haven't had an opportunity to actually find out the reasons why. And we're all sort of sitting here still wondering, what did Quade Cooper not do? that, Or what did Quade Cooper do that's changed Eddie Jones's mind in the space of, yeah. Yeah. you know, th- a week and a half of Dunedin. He's the player that comes off the bench and is, is entrusted to win the game. 
ends up fumbling the ball and it didn't do it that way. But then to completely omit him from the World Cup and the fact that he had given him so much game time in the four tests, it, it really does, as a Wallabies fan, feel like there was a, a a sharp left turn in selection and planning for the squad and what the kind of plan for this World Cup was. And we still don't have an official answer from that. So I can understand... <clears throat> exactly, exactly. I, was saying, I can understand yeah, why so the journalists were asking yeah, those questions. Sorry, I was, why they were asking those questions around certain players, particularly players like Quade Cooper more so Michael Hooper, around how mm. uh, he w- took the news or if he got told correctly. There are rumours spreading around that Michael Hooper didn't actually get a call to say he wasn't selected, and it was only when he reached out to RA officials to find out, you know, am I getting on a plane tomorrow morning to Darwin? Oh, sorry, mate, actually, no, you didn't make the cut. And so if that is yep. the case, he was named that's, co-captain that's but- earlier in the year. That's just not good enough. So I can understand at, the, at that one yeah, point why yeah, the yeah, journalists yeah. are asking the questions, but I can also understand yeah. as well why Eddie's getting frustrated and like, look, we're about to leave for a World Cup. I'm telling everyone we're going to win it. These are the young guys that I think are capable of winning it. Let's be positive about that. Well, I think that's part of it comes down to media management in a way because those questions are important questions, okay? So I think it was Tom Decent that asked the question, well, how did Quaid know to not pick up your phone, uh, not pick up his phone or answer your call? if he didn't already know that he wasn't in a team. So does that mean that there's a leak within the process by which a team is being selected? And that's that's a valid and a fair enough and, and a completely appropriate question to be asking. Um, same thing around questions about Michael Hooper's uh, omission and the communication around that. But I think what Eddie's frustration, like you touched on, is the timing of those questions right as mm. they're about to leave for France. So then you go, okay, let's let's look at this from a bit more of a um, managing a situation perspective. Why wasn't there another interview provided? Even if it was off the record, even if it was one where um, journalists are not allowed to directly record it, but they can have particular grabs or particular quotes taken from it. Why doesn't Eddie with um, Marty Cambridge, the media manager, just sit down in the room together and go, all right, what are the questions that you have? What do you want to know? Um, and just done it in a more private manner so that this event could be the occasion for celebrating the opportunity that is ahead for this young Wallabies team. So it just seems that there was mixed um, messages of what this occasion was meant to be for. Eddie Jones has firmly in his mind that he wants to see it as his positive send-off for the team, and yet the journos are justifiably wanting to ask questions about key names. Like Quade Cooper is a household name. His lack of inclusion is big news. And so, of course, they're going to ask about it. Yeah. So I just think, I just feel and like you, there was a bit of naivety from, from Eddie Jones. made around and sort of then, approaching yeah. that whole subject around how it could be managed easier. The, the thing that comes away from this is, first of all, it didn't, in my mind, it didn't look good from a rugby perspective. Like where every, all news channels are reporting on this now and not of the fact that the Wallabies are heading to France to win a World Cup. Yeah. It's uppercut. Eddie Jones uppercut. has just given the uppercut to the, the media and, you know, given a mouthful and had this fiery encounter and all this sort of stuff. Now on one side, yes, he's taking the heat from the pressure away from the players and putting it on his shoulders. So I do understand possibly that he's trying to approach it from that perspective. But at the other, on the other side, Eddie Jones needs to make sure that the media are buying in to what this team is doing so that there is coverage. This is the, mm. If you compare this to the Matildas at the moment, the success, then the, the way the nation has gripped this team is 
partly because it's played in Australian time zones. It's on free-to-air TV. Mm. It's so heavily uh, promoted in the country. The Wallabies will be playing at 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. on Sunday or even Monday mornings. It's a really hard time for for people to get up and support the team, even if they're diehards like you and I, let alone just the the casual rugby fan or the casual sports fan who's like, oh, the Wallabies are playing, you know, Fiji in a World Cup pool match. I'm, I want to see how they go. He needs to get the media on side to buy into that. So what you were suggesting of having some kind of off the record meeting and say, look, okay, get the the, the big guys in, Tom Deason, Christy Dore and all the different outlets, get them in a room explain to them, look, this is where we're going. This is nothing to be reported on, but we're showing you, we're, we're giving you the, the narrative and we want you to buy into our narrative. We want you to report the positivity and we want you to help tell our story to the public. And then those questions will be answered. The journalists don't mm. need to address it in a press conference like this and Eddie doesn't need to get so frustrated and start throwing it back. It's not a good look. And yeah, he, he didn't handle it all that well. He started to spiral. And we've seen Eddie Jones in the past, you know, get ruffled by questions from certain journalists and certain outlets. And he wants to create this positive story. But it got to a point in this in this interview particularly where people actually started to redirect questions and actually ask positive questions like you wanted, but he was still stuck on certain points. Oh, mate. He still they, was like, what do you um, want me to do around Quade Cooper? To, yeah, yeah. What, do you, to what would credit. you do? All that sort of stuff. To their credit, they actually gave him, all right, cool. So you're about to get onto a plane. What message do you want to be providing to the fans of Australian rugby about this Wallabies team and their World Cup journey? And the answer that he gave, he was obviously so flustered um, or so frustrated from what he'd seen of that interaction that it was a really weak, it was a really weak call to arms. And I just felt like it didn't communicate with clarity the vision that he has for the direction of this team. And yeah. so, yeah, you're right. There was an opportunity for so much more. But I actually think this, um, it ties into a bigger question about the role of journalists and media, which actually, as weird as it is for me to say, like you and I and Lockie, we, we are media within the rugby landscape, which is odd. Um, the responsibility that we have about... Um, accountability for the organizations and teams and the like that we that we support and we follow but also positivity and we are a positive rugby podcast without a shadow of a doubt we look for the good news and the opportunities to talk up the game where we can but at the same time we're going to say if something's been done poorly and we think it could improve we'll always be talking about where it could be or how it could improve but we're still going to say if something isn't done well Um, and another element of rugby coverage within Australia over the last 24 hours, which has not been done well, is a video which was put out about the wives and girlfriends, colloquially known as the WAGs across all sports, um, who have been put up in hotels, who have been flown out and five-star treatment so that they can send off or travel with the their partners within the Wallabies team. So, Mitch... Can you just quickly summarise what um, what the concern is here or the criticisms are being directed towards Rugby Australia regarding the WAGs and the, um, the, the luxuries that they've been provided or the travel or accommodation they've been provided with? Look, there's a lot of things being said by certain players and certain different members of the rugby community at the moment. And I think generally 
we will, as you said before, I know we're going to try and stay positive in this and we're going to try and back RA where we can in, in that where we, we, yeah, where we can, but we need need to, uh, we need to start off by saying rugby Australia made a mistake here. And that's the biggest thing. And I don't think there was any intention to cause uh, frustration, hurt, whatever the feelings that some of the uh, female players particularly are feeling at the moment. I don't think that was the intention by doing this, but it was pretty short-sighted by what the content that they put out on their social media channels and the sort of message that it uh, portrayed to the average person. So Mm. for those that aren't aware, as Ando said before, rugby.com.au put out a post, I think Friday or or yesterday, Saturday, um, that was a video of certain partners of Wallabies players who were flown to Sydney to to stay in Sydney with their partners before they left um, on Saturday or Friday, whatever, whenever it was that the Wallabies left for France. And from what is reported and how it looks, it, it was an all expenses paid trip, flights, accommodation, meals, drinks at bars and, and pubs and that type of thing in Sydney before the players got on the flight to France and left and then trips back home. Now, some of the Wallaroos players particularly have sort of taken this message and sort of uh, highlighted the, the inequality and in how this feels and looks to the women's game at the moment and that <clears throat> certain players particularly have highlighted or drawn comparisons to the, the treatment that the, wall, the female players and the Wallaroos players get in compared to the male counterparts and particularly the link between the partners and and family members of the Wallaroos players compared to the Wallaroos, Wallaroos, Wallabies families, mm. friends, partners mm. as well. So one of the points that's come out com- that we'll focus on straight away is that the Wallabies have shown that they've flown the partners, family members down to Sydney to say goodbye before they left for the World Cup. And one of the sticking points for some of the players is that even the Wallaroos families and friends and partners can't get free tickets or tickets provided by Rugby Australia to the Wallaroos games they have to pay out of pocket to attend. Yep. And straight off the bat, that's not good enough. Yeah. That's a really so straight cool off look. the bat, I think we, we can highlight a couple of things here. We can highlight that the content that was being put up about the WAGs is completely tone deaf and you're right is unlikely to be intentional in terms of causing any offense but in a way that doesn't it doesn't help because what it does and maybe i'll be a little bit more direct um i don't know (laughs) if i will but what it what it does is it highlights how the women's game and the situation around the finances for the women's game is not front and center for those within ra making these types of decisions about content and media that they're putting out so again it just shows in a way the place of women's rugby within the mental landscape or the organizer organizational landscape of ra uh, um and so we've had a number of players who have highlighted some really significant concerns i mean basically name any major player or any player with a walrus setup and they have retweeted um or, or reposted the images that we've seen online so uh what i might do it might be helpful because we are a podcast although you can get the video up on youtube i'm just going to quickly read out the statement that many many players have uh posted and shared you told us flying anything beyond economy was too costly then you flew the wallabies business class on a trip shorter than ours 
That's in reference to them flying to Canada recently for the World 15 qualifications, um, Award XV qualifications. You told us full-time contracts were in the pipeline, that there wasn't enough money to keep the men in a game, let alone us. Then you paid $5 million for an NRL player, Joseph Suali. You said our program would go professional and our coach would be full-time. How many coaches has Eddie taken to the World Cup? Mm. You continually say we don't have enough resources, and yet we all saw the World Cup send off for the Wallabies. We've seen the impact that women's sports has had on the Australian sporting landscape thanks to the Matildas. It's time for the chairman, board, and CEO to prioritise the future of Australian women's rugby and allocate adequate resources. It's time to acknowledge that we are not promoted equally, even on a free platform. The future of our games hangs in the balance. It's your move, Rugby Australia. And so that's the message that has been shared. And although there are some addendums that you can put to to the comments, so such as the Wallaroos coach will be full-time in 2024, um, there are some... They are full-time contracts, but the pay is not great. It's around 35 There is a plan, you know. There there are tiers of pay. Supposedly, there's meant to be a plan moving forward, but... I still haven't re- released the roadmap for Australian rugby moving forward. It's meant to be coming out when a private equity deal gets sorted. Um, if you want to go back and listen to our podcast, ladies and gents, with Jilly Collins that I had, that was really good for talking about the roadmap or the, 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 the direction of the game. But we still haven't seen anything. And that was months ago. That was like in May or June or something. And so, yeah, overall, overall, what it shows is that there has not been enough care and concern directed to the women's game, particularly in terms of leadership and direction of where the game will be moving heading forward. And the Matildas have just shown what women's sport can do on a national stage. Yeah. And, and some of the points that are raised in here are, are really easy, re- easy fixes and things that can change an approach. Uh, so the one that jumps out to me is, Uh, It's time to acknowledge that we are not promoted equally, even on a free platform. So when you go back and scroll through the Wallabies Instagram or Twitter feeds uh, Mm. or X, whatever it's called now, there's no acknowledgement of the Wallaroos at all. They have their own platform. The Wallabies platform has 10 times the amount of followers that the Wallaroos do. And all it takes is for you to put one of the tweets or the posts up that you're about to say, like the Wallaroos are playing now on the main channel on the main feed. And that just shows, again, it's that unite, united approach that we are one team. We are one nation. We're not a women's team and a men's team. We're the Wallabies and the Wallaroos. We're Australia. We're playing mm-hmm. the game of rugby union together. Shouldn't matter who's playing or who's pulling on that jersey. Yep. Yep, 100%. So, yeah, yeah well said there. Um, look, there's so much to talk about with this. And I think a really simple one is actually jumping on to a really clear example. So the in, in July, the Wallabies flew business class to South Africa, whilst the Wallaroos flew to Canada, a 14-hour flight in economy seats less than 12 hours after playing the Blackburns. I'm reading from a player's Instagram account. Our flight's economy were paid for by World Rugby. All Rugby Australia had to do was pay the cost in between to upgrade us, but then it didn't even think we were worth that. Don't forget that on the way home, a number of the, the, the carrier, I think it was Air Canada, um, um, overbooked the flight. And so a number of players weren't able to fly home with the rest of the team and were stuck in the airport for three days. Were stuck in the airport for three days. 
That is completely unacceptable. I recently took a school trip in the last holidays over to Washington and we had a major issue with the students' flight. Stuff went down and we pulled out all the stops to make sure that a student under our responsibility got home appropriately and safely in earliest time possible. And yet the Wallaroos are stuck in a country for three days and there's no statement, there's no information or, or st good reason provided as to why this happened and why it took so mm. long for them to be able to get back to Australia. It just speaks to, yeah. again, that broad narrative of the Wallaroos aren't valued. And whether that's true or not from our I'm sure there are many people, and I know there are many people, like Julie Collins lives and breathes women's rugby and is doing all she can yep. for the game in Australia, without a doubt. But they're just not getting on the front foot in terms of communication and marketing to say, we value women's rugby. Here is our plan. Here's a direction moving forward. And yes, things aren't right right now, but we're doing our best to make sure that it moves in the right direction. They're not even able to do that. And so I find that the hardest part, mm. the the lack of poor communication about the direction of the women's game. Sorry, the lack of and communication. Look, we're, we're recording now at 8.30 roughly on a Sunday night. The post on rugby.com.au came out, as I said, Friday, Friday evening, maybe Saturday morning. It's since been removed, but there has been no address or no acknowledgement from RA in the time since the Wallaroos players have come forth and started saying things. This is starting to get picked up currently. This is starting to get picked up by the national media. But again, RA has not said anything. RA needs to step in and take control of this situation before it gets any worse. Now, I'm hoping by the time that this goes to air tomorrow morning and by the time you're listening to this and going on your way to work or school or whatever, wherever it is you're commuting and listening to this wonderful podcast, that RA has come out and said something, has made a comment. But from mm. previous experience, I wouldn't be surprised if this snowballs and gets to a point where RA has to is forced to say something two or three days in the future when it has gotten to a point where we're, where we're talking or looking at player boycotts and things like that. This, yep. this situation yep. needs to be handled. Yeah, and look, there's um, some early reports from codesports.com.au, which is speaking about how this was actually a premeditated... Um, decision taken by senior Walrus players. I mean, the timeliness of it and the speed at which different players were sharing it does speak to that. Um, and so this outlet is reporting, Code Sports is reporting, that it was um, known by RA ahead of time. And rather than try and meet with the players and speak about the issues, they sent them um, terms from their contracts saying that they're not allowed to post things that could be detrimental to the organisation or the game. Um, and if that is true, if that is true, then it again is, a, I just feel like it's poor communication and it's, it's poor management to not be able to address the issues that are being highlighted within the women's game. So I don't know where else to go with this, mate. I mean, what does yeah. RA need to do from here to kind of um, address this initial problem? Now, to that, we should say as well, this is Sunday night that we're recording. And so it may well be that come Monday morning, a statement or something like that is released because this has been happening over the weekend. So there might be some type of response which makes, I hope, makes a meaningful attempt to engage with the issues at hand and speak to a direction moving forward. Uh, I don't trust that will happen, but I hope that will happen. So as I said at where the start, do we, we want to be as supportive of our, we want to be as supportive of RA as we can. But the frustrating thing is, and again, speaking to this point, 
Uh, we have access to, we're on the official email chain of Rugby Australia and the Wallabies particularly. 7.30 this morning, an email came out with video and footage of the Wallabies attending um, uh, an event at, now I'm going to get that completely wrong, so I'm probably not going to say it, Villas Breton in France, which I believe from what I've seen on social media is one of the war memorials over there, which is great. It's great that the Wallabies have done that. But that's 7.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. They've sent that information out. They haven't addressed anything of this that has been snowballing. So I don't buy into the comment you made a second ago, Ando, about that just because it's the weekend, we can't nip this in the bud. We hope. We Surely, hope. Yes, yeah, exactly. Surely there's a way that they can say something. I just hope moving forward that there isn't re- repercussions for the players that have stood up and said something because it's not fair. It isn't fair the way that these wall- Wallaroos have been treated in the past. And if they do get punished for just pointing out something that doesn't seem fair and doesn't sit right and the general public needs to know the situation that is happening to these players, I really hope that they don't get reprimanded or or face any type of sanction for that because I don't, I don't believe it should be fair. Mm. Moving forward, where do we go from here? Good question. I don't know. Pretty negative topic. Pretty big issue in, in rugby in Australia at the moment. Um, I guess there's just more to come and we just have to wait until something officially does get released by Rugby Australia at this point. Agreed. And the thing that I'm really, I mean, the thing I'm really looking forward to is an opportunity to see what the pathway is for women's rugby from Rugby Australia moving forward. Uh, Julie Collins said it was going to be a part of the general roadmap for Australian rugby Uh, which was going to be released mid-year. She did say at the time that that is dependent upon upon the PE or private equity deal being finalised and then obviously having an understanding of finances available before you can then invest in different programs. And we've heard nothing on the private equity front. So it wouldn't surprise me if we don't hear anything until after the World Cup now um, because the World Cup is so soon. Uh, I feel like Rugby Australia is going to try and avoid any other major headlines that are non-World Cup related, which is just disappointing because it pushes that uh, women's update back even further. So, yeah. Well, to finish off on a positive, as I said, to finish on a positive, uh, we had the Jack Scott Cup final over the weekend, which is the premier women's competition in New South Wales. And well done to Eastern Suburbs, who took it out 22-17 over Sydney Uni or Sydney Uni Gold. I believe they've got two teams. Um, but there was a lot of Wallaroos and New South Wales players for both teams. So well done to all players involved in that. Well done to Eastern Suburbs for getting the victory, anyone but uni, as we all like to say. So well done there. <laughs> anyone but uni. Well, my friends, why don't we move on and we'll hit up the internationals, which were played over the weekend. So um, I'll quickly run us through the games and then I'll hand things over to you, mate. So we had the week three of the automation series, which was played. And first up, we had Wales, who were going to be in the same pool as at the World Cup, get absolutely demolished by South Africa, 50 or 16 to 52. Italy pantsed Romania, 57 to 7, so a 50-point victory there. Ireland came away convincing victors, 29-10 over England, with Billy Vonapola being shown a red card mm. for a high shoulder on Irish player. And then France uh, came away pretty comfortable winners, 34-17 against Fiji. Mitch, over to you. Yeah, so where do we want to start? Which game? How many, how many of these have you caught minutes of? 
Oh, mate, I've watched the highlights of Ireland, England, and I've watched the mini of Wales, South Africa. So I didn't have time to catch any of the others. So okay. um, I'm pretty happy for us to just touch, make a couple of comments and then go into a bit more depth with Wales, South Africa. Yeah, so we're talking about Wales next as they're our pool rival. So we'll focus a little bit more detail there. 57 to 7, uh, Italy over Romania is a really good result for Italy. And from some of the highlights that I've seen online, First of all, the, the most interesting one for me, Monte Ioani's back straight into the Italian team uh, after his stint in uh, Super Rugby with the Melbourne Rebels this year. So good to see he's um, going to be running around for the Italians in the World Cup this year and hopefully he can re-find some of the form that he had when he was in Italy previously because from all reports this year was not a great um, foray into Super Rugby for him, unfortunately. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So um, Italy doing really well there. France uh, showing their class even now without Roman Entomac being a part of the Rugby World Cup squad. I think his injury is just absolutely devastating. He was mercurial, one of the most exciting playmakers in world rugby. Um, up there with kind of like Bowden Barrett in his heyday in terms of his ability to... Um, just make something out of nothing, probably even more so. And he, him not being a part of that team is really disappointing. But France, with a lot of their first team players back into the squad, came up strong against Fiji. Fiji, again, showing that they can be dangerous, but just don't have that consistency in set piece and playing territory that you need to against the top teams to really give yourself a chance. I guess the scary thing for Australia now, looking at our draw and who we've got in our pool with Fiji, so infrequently does Fiji get the time together as a squad that they currently have leading into this World Cup. We're currently three weeks away from the first weekend or the first round of games um, in the pools. Yep. So already Fiji's played two test matches in that time. So they've at least been together for six weeks. Uh, the more time they spend together as a squad and the fact that this Fijian team is built on the backbone of the Fiji Drua from Super Rugby is just they, I think, are going to be a team that's going to upset or surprise a few nations in this World Cup. They haven't shown yet how good they can be, and I think they're only going to get better the more time that they play together. Well, I think they're going to be particularly dangerous coming up against Wales in the first game. So Wales, um, like we already mentioned, got absolutely pants by South Africa 16-52, to 52. But Wales don't have another game. Their World Cup squad is being announced tomorrow, so Monday. So by the time you're listening to this, everybody, you should be able to have access to the Wales Rugby World Cup squad. But Fiji are coming up against them first. And Fiji have another warm-up game against England this coming weekend on the 26th of August. Um, so I think that's like Sunday night, like 15 past midnight or something like that. And yet again, that will be another opportunity for them to get time I'm under, um, or to get games under the belt as a team, as a squad. And so it just makes me think that they they could very, very easily be taking Wales down here. Uh, we'll talk about Wales' team in a moment, but the fact that Wales don't have another game now until the Rugby World Cup, Fiji are coming off three or four games in a row, and traditionally they get better the more they have play, the more opportunities they have to play together. I wonder if Fiji get up, up against Wales, and then we play them in our second game, I believe. We start with Georgia and then play Wales, uh, play Fiji, yep. and then I Wales. So. I actually think that might be good. If Fiji can get up against Wales, it might be the high they need to then maybe put in a lower performance against Australia. Um, maybe they come back <laughs> up to 
you hope they can't back it up. Two weeks in a row. I mean, otherwise you're saying yeah, that they could have two really good opening weekends of the World Cup. Take away, take down Wales oh. and Australia, and set themselves up as the, the lead off. There's a world where <laughs> it happens. Unfortunately, up. there is definitely yeah, a world there genuinely where it happens. Is. There genuinely is. Um, let's uh, Mate, let's talk a little bit about this again? Ireland game, Ireland and England. So the mm. red card. This is the second week in a row that Ireland, uh, England, sorry, have got a red card. Last week it was to Owen Farrell. Now we haven't specifically addressed the off-field happenings of what has happened with that. So Owen Farrell faced the judiciary, and through the process, and through England having all the resources in world rugby and a, a majority say on the board. They dropped the charges. <laughs> they dropped anything against. Uh, they they basically pulled the whole mitigation factor card that didn't exist Which because there was no crap. mitigation. There was no uh, mitigation. and dropped the charges. Now there has been complete outrage from world rugby, uh, rug the the world of rugby around the world, and all different nations. World rugby. Yes, and uh, and world rugby has now put in a what. Well, a retrial is that what you call this no no so they have appealed the decision because the the original decision is made not by anybody from world rugby they're independent um adjudicators and so it was actually three australian um officials who were a part of the panel that reviewed the evidence reviewed the submission and then determined that it actually wasn't worthy of a red card because of supposed mitigation where i think it was jamie george um or whoever it was pushes the player yeah uh, yeah, maybe, maybe one of the front rowers um, yeah. pushes the player into Owen Farrell, who cops him with the shoulder. Now, World Rugby has looked at that decision, looked at the supposed evidence of mitigation, probably seen all the public outcry going, are you freaking kidding me? And yeah. the damage that it does to the game on the eve of the World Cup and said, we are going to appeal it. So they have put in an appeal because it was conducted by an independent group and that is now being reconsidered. So he didn't play in the weekend, Owen Farrell, because his case is still under appeal. George Ford started for England, actually looked good, by the way. Uh, George Ford is excellent. Um, and yeah, there's still maybe some uh, water to run under the bridge about whether or not Owen Farrell will be playing either for England at the World Cup, depending upon the length of the ban, or whether he'll miss out the first three, four games of England's World Cup. Yeah, some some pool games. If he does get a ban, let's just think of the preparation of this World Cup and coming into it. We were all prepared to see a World Cup with Entomac, Owen Farrell, uh, Quade Cooper, um, what's Hodge, uh, Hogg, Stuart Hogg. No, not Stuart Hogg. What's the Finn Russell? Um, all of these players at, you know, 30, around 35 towards the end, other side, mostly, uh, but Mm -hmm. playing incredible rugby at the moment at the peak of their careers, coming into a world cup, it was really forming as the battle of the tens. And when most of those players, if Farrell gets a band may not feature quite heavily, Johnny Sexton's another one, um, might not feature heavily for their teams in this, this tournament, Quade Cooper completely gone. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how how this World Cup forms and, and teams deal with the loss of those players and that experience. Yep, yep, completely agree. And I think it'll be the teams that have varied the experience and the depth within a squad that will be able to best cope with those challenges. Um, but about this game, England were incredibly poor. I'm just going to 
say they were really, really poor. Ireland dominated them throughout, and it really wasn't as a result of Billy Vunapola's red card. Um, for anybody who hasn't seen it, he basically just doesn't get low enough in a tackle, leads with a shoulder and collects a defender, straight shoulder to the head. And so it was initially yeah. given yellow card plus review, then later upgraded to a red card. Uh, and so maybe he'll get six weeks reduced to three, potentially. Um, that's often what we see. But either way, he is likely to miss the um, first two games at least because England do have a match against Fiji next week. Um, but yeah, this game, Ireland were just far too clinical and organised. They were able to manipulate the English defence. And one of the really, really disappointing elements, I think it was... Um, was it Omani who got one of the initial breaks to lead up to Bundyaki's first try? And it was just the the front row were just in a pod and then the English defence was also the front row was just at the edge of the ruck. And the English defenders just didn't, like, number up. And so two it's people went for a tackle on the ball carrier who just got the ball away, easy tip on, and then the uh, Irish attacker just runs straight through the hole, offloads to Bundyaki, and he's through. And you just think, that's... That's really basic. You should not be making a basic defensive error like that um, in, like three weeks out from the World Cup. And so if, I, if I'm Steve Borthwick, the English coach here, I'm really concerned that they're giving up those types of errors and those types of tries early on within a game weeks out from the World Cup. Conversely, how good is Ireland looking at the moment? And they've they, come they into World Cup yet again. Why not, mate? Who cares? Who cares? Doesn't matter. Will they make a quarterfinal? That's the question. I'm I'm saying oh. as an Irish fan, you must be at least sitting sitting hoping that they've got to this point with if do they have another test? I'm not too sure, Ireland. Um if not the, this uh, wasn't just, their last test check. for the yes. World Cup. Summer uh, let them let them ring in the changes against summer. Good good opportunity to test your depth. But uh at least they've got to this point of the World Cup and are still looking consistent. The wheels haven't fallen off yet, which unfortunately it does happen so often with Irish Irish rugby when it gets to the big stage. Yeah, look, I actually like Irish rugby and I'd be so keen for them to kind of go through, but I really love the narrative that they keep getting knocked out in the quarterfinals. So I very much, they're, they're in a tough pool. Scotland have been playing really well. So have um, obviously South Africa too. They're, they're looking incredibly dangerous. And so you've got South Africa, Ireland, Scotland in a one pool. One of them has to miss out probably Scotland at this point in time, but there's a potential for a slip up. So who knows what might happen? And um, I would just love the storyline if Ireland didn't even make it out of the pool, let alone in the quarterfinal. <laughs> oh dear. Well, let's, let's keep moving along. Let's uh, talk a little bit and focus a little bit more on Wales and their, uh, their games over the last few weeks and what, as Wallabies fans, we can expect from them leading into the World Cup in a few weeks' time. Yeah, so if we go back to the last couple of games, they um, had a win last week over... So they lost last week over against England, 19-17. to 17. At one point within that game, England had three players on the bench, in a sin bin, I should say. And so Wales had a three-man advantage in that moment and only scored one try. And also England scored a try against them in that time as well. So they went through that full period 7-7, which was just ridiculously poor from them. Um, the previous week, though, they played really well, got up 20-9. to Actually, I'm not sure really well. England, again, were poor. And so it's an interesting one. They've gone from a win against England at home, which is something to be cherished and, and well done for that, a really poor 19-7. to 17 loss where they should 
definitely have beaten England away from home to getting absolutely pantsed by South Africa, 16 to 52. Now, there are a couple of caveats here. The first caveat is that this was clearly a second-string Welsh side up against a near-first-string South African side. Um, that That's the first point. They had Alex Cuthbert, Liam Williams, and Dan Bigger pull out uh, just before the game and left only 235 international caps across the entire entire squad. Their front row had 45 like international caps between them. caps they lost. Yeah, between them, yeah, it's crazy as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Their, their starting props had four. This was their second game. The starting props, so there were four caps if you included that game between them, um, and they were going up against the South African front row. So you always knew they were going to get monstered in the scrums, and indeed they did. It, look, so focusing first on this game, the first thing I want to talk about, and that's Wales and South Africa. How good was it to see two nations with the old school collar? on the jersey back again. Yes. It just the important it felt stuff. right. Im- the important stuff. If there isn't a-, a movement post this World Cup that all rugby teams should have a collar on their jerseys, I'm going to start a petition because yep. it just looks so good. It it differentiates rugby from league and soccer from the fact that you can have an old school collar on, you look classy, tuck it in as well like Pete Samu. Tucked in jersey, socks up, collar on top. There's nothing better than that. It just looks like class <laughs> on a field. So good. That's one of but the back most to the actual rugby things you've ever said. I love it. <laughs> I didn't even go to a private school. I know. I that's why it's great. <laughs> but South Africa in this game dominated every facet. Now, Wales scored 16 points to their credit. And as we said before, their disruption and their preparation was severely um impacted by the players that withdrew from the preparations late. But South Africa looked dominant from every facet of the game. And the the tries that or the points that Wales scored were either through penalties or pretty opportunistic uh, pick and drives close to the line, which you can't really stop. Uh, it was in the 76th minute or something as well, that, that final try. And I believe there was a, a mad advantage as well. South Africa got a yellow card. Um Kind of worrying from Wales in this perspective, considering, as you said before, that this is their last game leading into the World Cup. They're about to mm. announce their World Cup squad. And I still don't think Warren Gatlin knows who his best 23 are and what style of rugby they want to play. I don't think he's had the time yeah. with this team to really get an idea of how he's going to change the game plan week in, week out for Australia, for Portugal for Fiji, how he's going to be able to have this squad be as adaptable as they need to be to play a style of rugby that's going to get them deep into this competition. Yeah, there were some some positive signs from Wales early on in the contestable kicking game that they were playing. So using kicks off nine, getting some good uh, hang time and quality chases to just messy up the receipt area for South Africa. And so they had two or three turnovers within the first 15 or retained possession, I should say, within the first 15 to 20 minutes of the game, which was giving them some opportunities. So before um, before the uh, break from Snyman and then the intercept try as well, or the other way around, um, they were actually pretty close. Uh, they, they'd had the three penalties to make it nine, and I think they were mm. maybe nine, twelve, or they something. They did get like it. They did get up at one point. It was 
Yeah, they yep, did yep. get it. They it were was, ahead uh, on nine five. Yep, and so th- there was some early success, but they just didn't have the capacity to deal with the physicality of South Africa. And I mean, what is it that South Africans do to create? these just incredible locks. We haven't seen RG Steinman for a while over the last couple of years because of repeated injuries. And yet he's able to come back into, into the South African team and just absolutely dominate. He was a mountain, a mountain. Looks like he should be in kind of Game of Thrones as some absolute enforcer yeah. for one of the uh, one of the families contesting. Uh, they all do, um, though. All South African locks are like numbers. that, aren't they? Yes. Yep. And, I mean, we didn't even have, like, Edsabeth there and Wood Diaga hasn't even been picked in the squad if I recall correctly and (laughs) then they just have Simon step up and just be absolutely incredible like he was a few years ago um so yeah Wales couldn't handle that physicality which is just the first thing you need to be able to do when coming up up against South Africa and I guess as as big as the score is in some ways it flatters Wales just a tiny bit in that South Africa Mm. missed like six or seven shots at goal whether it was penalty or conversion. So this score could have been a lot more. They could have hit the 70s yeah. if they got all their kicks. Yeah, so Money Wibok is the 10 that's been called in to kind of replace Andre Pollard since he's out of the World Cup with injury. And he, I think he's a Stormers player, and supposedly he's been lighting things up in, in the URC, although I haven't really been following following the South African teams at all. Um, he's, he's supposed to be quite a mercurial player, very, very... Um, good attacking off the front foot, but his poor place kicking game was on display tonight. So admittedly, he made a lot of his kicks, but he made the easy ones, the ones that were just kind of right in front or just to the sides. Um, I was counting it, and so I'm pretty confident he missed four kicks at goal, two conversions, two penalties. And so that was six, eight, ten. So ten points left on the field uh, just from Marnie Wibok's kicks. And some of the misses were really bad. Some of them were really yeah. bad. Um, there was so one that was that... pretty close to in front too. One of the last ones. Yeah. It just like skimmed the left <laughs> yeah. Up, right. Yeah, exactly. And so you just look at it and go, man, what's South Africa known for? They're known for their incredibly strong forward play, particularly from the locks in the front row. They're known for their hard running centers and the capacity to just put the ball over the sticks every time they get an opportunity. And you've had that most of the time with Andre Pollard. I mean, I grew up kind of remembering Percy Montgomery as one of those like just dominant place kickers within world rugby. And they're going into a World Cup without a quality or recognised accurate kicker from the tee who's hitting like 85, 90% plus. So that will be a concern for them. And you just think that Marnie Wibok is just going to be doing extra after extra with his place kicking over the next three weeks. If we... Uh, refer back to Australia and the Wallabies in the World Cup and how they're going to go. I am concerned by the fact that we only have one pretty dominant kicker uh, in our 15. And well, we only have one kicker in our 15 and that's Carter Gordon if Nick White doesn't Mm -hmm. start. And that's concerning, particularly in a game against Wales where Wales will take shots where they can, will take points where possible, will drop field goals at every opportunity they can get. If we aren't able to apply pressure that way, if we aren't able to kick our kicks or take our opportunities there, we're going to struggle. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Really well said. And because if you look, who actually takes, like, we say that Nick White is a kicker, but he's really not. He can do it, but he doesn't kick regularly for the Brumbies. I mean, um, neither does Carter. And there's, yeah, neither does. Yeah. And so you look at it and think, 
who is it actually that can take the kicks if Carter Gordon isn't available? Ben Donaldson from the bench as the 23, if he's used as that kind of backline replacement. Um, but it's it's a tough one to try and figure out what they're going to do there. So again, Carter Gordon, do your extras, mate, and get, get some miles in your boots or some kicks in your boots to make sure that you're giving yourself the best chance to take every opportunity given to you. Well, before we finish up the pod and wrap things up, we try and f- finish on an Australian flavor or in a little bit of positivity. So the first bit of breaking news that came out of Wallabies camp earlier this week was that Jason Riles is joining the coaching team effective immediately with Brad Davis returning to the UK for family reasons. Now, Ando, before we dive into the Australia A squad that's also up there um, on the screen for those on YouTube, what were your initial thoughts about the news about Davis leaving and Riles coming in? Oh, look, I um, I didn't really know what to do with it because I just don't know enough about the situation. I don't want to speculate about why Brad Davis might have left. Maybe maybe it is family reasons. But yep. it kind of just felt to me like that was a throwaway line kind of given to cover up something else. Uh, because when Eddie Jones was saying later, he's like, oh, no. Uh, we spoke about it and it was a mutual decision or something to that effect made me just feel like uh maybe not family reasons um so that that was just an interesting thought that jumped into my head uh supposedly jason riles is very well regarded within rugby league and rugby union circles again where are you going to get a top rugby union coach to step in at this time they're all going to be contracted they're all going to be involved within other national coaching setups or hard to pry away from their provincial teams that they're kind of getting ready for the 2024 seasons. So, yeah, look, I think from all from all reports, it's a good signing, but uh, it does make me question why Brad Davis actually left and whether it really was for family reasons. And it does make me wonder why we have so many rugby league-based coaches in Eddie Jones's team. And again, that might be just purely based on the fact that that's all he could get at this late time, even... When yeah, he was appointed, leading into the, the World Cup. But it does make me w- worried a little bit. And from the performances we've seen so far from the Wallabies this year, I wouldn't say we're playing smart rugby. We're not beating teams from our rugby now. So um, yeah. interesting to see how that goes. The Australia A squad. Now, I'll quickly run through, uh, for those on the podcast, who is included. And then we might just we'll keep this quick because we want to finish up. But Ando, just let me know if there's anyone that jumps out as a a big inclusion mm-hmm. or a big exclusion. So props, we've got Matt Gibbon, Harry Johnson-Holmes, Tom Lambert, Sam Talakai, and Reese Van Neck. Hookers, Falau Fayengaa, and Lockie Lonigan. Locks, Josh Cannum, Lucan, Salakai Loto, and Darcy Swain. In the back row, Ned Hannigan, Pete Samu, Lockie Swinton, Sarah Uru, Brad Wilkin. Scrum halves, Ryan Lonigan, James Tuttle. Fly halves, again, continuing the trend, one fly half, Bernard Foley. Centres, Filippo Dalgunu. Josh Fluke, James O'Connor, Hunter Paisami. Interesting that Filippo Dagudu is considered a centre here and not an outside back. Uh, outside backs, Lockie Anderson, Dylan Peach, Corey Toole, and Tom Wright. So before we talk about the players that didn't make this squad, of the players that did, who are you most excited to see? And who are you, I guess, excited about their inclusion? I really like the inclusion of Josh Cannon within this setup. I mean, Lukan Loto and Darcy Swain kind of pick themselves with some of the injuries that are around at the moment. Josh Cannon was excellent for the Rebels in 2023. So I really like the opportunity he's having to be a part of a, another step up in terms of high-performance squads. Uh, Corey Toole, every time he touches the ball, I get excited in 
every way possible. Tom Wright, I like that he's still getting game time at the moment because he will be one of the players that is a potential um, injury replacement if there is an issue within our 15 stocks. And then lastly, Pete Samu, uh, Sam Talakai, and Tom Lambert, all key replacement figures for injury if an injury does hit the Wallabies in, in particular positions. So those, those are really important, and I'm glad that they're over in France um, getting some game time against Portugal next weekend, I believe. So I, I like that they've been included. Yep. So the, the of the players that didn't make this squad, there are three big names. Uh, Quade Cooper, Michael Hooper, and Jed Holloway. So with Eddie Jones asked, Quade Cooper apparently chose not to be included. He he ruled himself out of selection, and you can understand why uh, from his you know domestic rugby perspective in Japan. Jed Holloway and Michael Hooper are confusing for me. Uh, Jed Holloway, mm. when, when Eddie was asked about it, he kind of said, well, I've seen what he can bring and I don't think I'm going to get any, uh, I know what he's going to bring for me. So that makes me yep. think that Jed Holloway is not even on a potential list of injury cover for the World Cup, which is harsh yep. because harsh for him. Michael Hooper, same yep. type of thing for, for mine. Michael Hooper is reported to be fit for selection for the French game. So the game against France before the World Cup starts. So effectively, he would mm. be fit to play in this Australia A squad. Now, whether he chose not to come on this tour or just didn't get selected again, like Jed Holloway, we don't know. But the fact that Michael Hooper, you would think, would be one of the players parachuted in should there be an injury to Fraser McWright. Uh, it looks at the moment like Pete Samu is probably ahead of him in that regard. Uh, but, yeah, questions around what is going on there. Interesting. Yep. Thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Look, um, I think those are all valid questions to be answered. And, again, it's just one of those things that, like, you just wish you could get a straight answer sometimes. Although some of it's private as well. So maybe there was a conversation with Hoops and he made it decision not to go because of personal or family reasons for Australia A, but he's still an option for the Wallabies replacement overall because he's got enough game time and experience with the other players inside and outside of him that he'd be okay to slot into the squad pretty easily. Um, but, mate, I and think... Then following I think we up, just before we finish or, as well, yeah. so from, from yeah. Lockie at Scrum Bags, he's also reported that of the players in this Australia A squad, the ones that will be going on tour with the Barbarians, so will be in France during the World Cup, yeah. yep. are... Yep. Tom Wright, Lockie Lonigan, Salakai Loto, Filippo Dalgunu, and James O'Connor. Yep. I think those are all excellent players to be getting more game time with than above variants. So, yeah, really good call there. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up, Ando. We're nearly at an hour. Mate, we're at an hour. We've hit the magic mark, so let's wrap things up. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. It's been an interesting one. We've We've tried to remain constructive within our commentary and discussion over what is a really significant and important issue within Australian rugby at the moment, the the place and the role of women's rugby in Australian sporting landscape and the value mm. that is placed on it by Rugby Australia, the organising um, uh, organizing body. So please send through your questions and your comments. I think there's always more that could be said about this these types of things but we've tried to straddle a line where rec we've recognized fault we've recognized the issues at hand and on a couple of points tried to put forward some suggestions of what could have been done to manage these things but overall it's a tough conversation to have and i really want to just thank all of 
the women who have been playing rugby in Australia at any level of the game. It's been absolutely amazing um, to be able to support you and the rugby that you play. I mean, I've loved getting out to the Super W games this year with my boy and getting out to the Wallaroos games as well. And trust me, like I'm wearing my Wallaroos jersey right now in support. And I am very much looking forward to getting out to more games next year. So we love you. We support you. And hopefully, yep. hopefully positive change is coming soon. So thank you so much, we everybody. We are looking forward to for the Wallaroos in Pacific 50... Uh, WXV in a few weeks' time as well. Looking forward to that. Go Wallaroos. Yeah, exactly. Some tough games are going to be playing, but very excited to support them. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Have a wonderful week, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.